Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Twenty-seventh of July. It is Tuesday. I have to keep checking the calendar. <clears throat> I, I lose track of the days of the week during the summer. I just confess that. I don't know if that happens to anyone else. Uh, they blur together when we have a more unusual schedule. Let's put it that way. Um, all right. So what is happening around the world? We reported a couple of years ago that the leaders of North and South Korea had suspended communications between Uh, their two countries. There has been a reversal on that front. The leaders of North and South Korea have restored communication channels um, and agreed to improve um, their their ties. Be interesting to see what what happens there. They've been in a two and a half year stalemate. Um, You might remember there were conversations and saber rattling across the peninsula, the Korean peninsula. You might remember some conversations in which President Trump was engaged. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how much to make of this. I would probably suggest that it's mostly posturing on North Korea's part. They don't they don't tend to engage in these things in, uh, in, a, in a very honest way. Mostly it's just for posturing. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm eternally hopeful that God would bring real restoration to the people of the Korean Peninsula. So I'm holding out hope. Um, some interesting news here out of Minnesota for those of you who um, are in our Minnesota listening area. Minnesota fourth graders, which you're saying to yourself, okay, we just talked about education and we just talked about things that are going on in education. Um, in the state of Minnesota, fourth graders um, are are being asked, have been asked to fill out what's called an equity survey um, about race and gender. They were allegedly told then not to tell their parents about the survey and certainly not to repeat the questions that they had been asked to answer. Um, And this equity survey is something that has been um, endorsed by the National Education Association. And it's an interesting um, conversation topic and something that you should know about if your kids are in public school. It's fair for you. In fact, it's your right to know what your children are being asked and, uh, and how they're being instructed and the content of that instruction. So one question in this particular equity survey given to fourth graders in Minnesota said, quote, do you currently identify yourself as female, male, transgender? And then in, in parentheses, it defines that transgender people have a gender identity or gender expression that differs from their assigned sex. For example, they were born male, but now identify as female uh, in parent or something else. And, and there was uh, a boy who asked the teacher if his mom could explain the question to him because he didn't understand even what the question was asking. And the teacher told the student that he could not ask his mother and then instructed the class not to repeat the questions to their parents. And so I just think that in terms of the conversations that we have here on the program seeking to equip you, you have to then in turn equip your kids. 
um, because the conversations that we have related to what's what's happening in the culture and the pressure upon all of us uh, to submit to, frankly, what is vast delusion in our culture that someone could be something other than their biology actually um, portends is is a problem and is a challenge. And it's something that our kids need to be equipped for in addition to our being equipped as well. All right. Justin Gibney from the And Campaign joins me next. We are going to talk about critical race theory. Yep. Just I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to say it right out. I'm going to say it straight up. We're going to talk about critical race theory. We need to have this conversation. We're also going to talk. uh, We're going to have a very honest conversation about hotel lotion. Yeah, I know. You're saying to yourself, no, these two things don't have anything to do with each other. But they're both important conversations. And Justin and I are going to talk about both of them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Justin Gibney, most well-known for heading up the AND campaign, but increasingly well-known across Twitter for introducing us into or finally surfacing the honest conversation about hotel lotion. Justin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Always glad to be here. All right. So uh, on your Twitter feed, a a conversation that I think is um, well overdue and is getting more traction than Many other things that you post, which are seemingly much more critical, but the um, the conversation about hotel lotion, it, it's time has come. It time has come. I mean, when you think about hotel lotion, it's advertised as complimentary, right? <laughs> and for something to be complimentary, it would have to have some value to it. And what I'm, I've come to say, and I'm just tired of being silent about it, is that hotel lotion is so watered down that it does not serve its purpose. It is not complimentary. And we should all fight back to make sure that we get better hotel lotion. We should. There should be some sort of national campaign because I (laughs) I don't even think that when they call it lotion, I don't think that shouldn't there be some sort of quality standard? I'm with you. If it pours out and it's just watery in your hand, it's, it's not, well, it's not on my skin offering any help. And this is where you use a word in your tweet that I will just say I'm not super familiar with in terms of skin, and that is ashiness. So can you yep. tell me what, what you mean by that? It's just another term for dry skin. I think, I think oh. all of us experience dry skin. Some of us experience it differently. Uh, but what I can tell you is that hotel lotion does nothing to help that. Um, and you would think Agreed. when you hear the word lotion that it's going to do something to cure dryness of skin and uh that's just not happening and i don't think the american people should uh sit quietly any longer (laughs) (laughs) no i totally agree all right um in in other news in something that we know that you and i know that people across the country are very exercised about we had a conversation earlier in the week about what's going on at mclean um bible church and the the challenge that david platt is facing um, or maybe that was Friday with Chris Martin. That sounds right. Um, so you and I can have this conversation about critical race theory, and maybe we'll have it in the context of the article we both read from the Washington Post about what's going on in Traverse City, Michigan. So 
Um, why don't you tell people the story of what's going on in Traverse City, and then you and I can talk a little bit about critical race theory. Sure. Uh, so from my understanding, you had a situation where some kids at, at that school did a mock uh, like slave trade or, you know, something about trading some of their uh, the students. Okay, let's pause there. right there. Let's yeah. pause right there. How is it possible that in the year 2021 or even in the year 2020, anyone could imagine that having a mock slave trade of any kind sexual slavery, slavery based on uh, skin color. I don't care what, who, how is it possible that this happened? I guess is my, I mean, I have my hands raised. I mean, like, I'm in shock. Yeah, I'm at a loss too. I don't know how this happens other than people not teaching their kids better. I mean, kids get crazy ideas and do crazy things, but this is one of those things that somebody in that group of kids should have known better and should have pushed back. And it's unfortunate that did, that didn't happen. And and the sad part is that instead of making this a situation where all the adults come together and say, this is obviously a teaching moment that we need to make sure this never happens again. We need to make sure if there hasn't been the adequate education to say why you don't do this and why this isn't funny, that we provide it now to make sure that none of our kids ever do this again. And instead of doing that, we have critical race theory into the conversation where this there was this equity uh, resolution. And now, instead of just correcting the kids who had, had done something very wrong, which we should all be able to agree on, now this is about critical race theory instead of about teaching kids how to treat others. Uh, and that's just unfortunate. Uh, I, I think that it, it, this would have been something that actually could have brought people together. I mean, sometimes when something bad like this happens, when people come together to correct it, it actually can bring people together. Instead, now we have the silliness about critical race theory that comes into the middle of it, and we can't even get the one lesson that needed to be taught is kind of lost in the whole back and forth. So disturbing to me, <clears throat> I'm going to roll back in time a little bit. Disturbing to me is, in part, is that there's this group of 16, 15, 16, 17-year-olds who have a Snapchat group entitled Slave Trade on which they were mock selling their um, their black and brown friends. And um, biracial friends were sold, traded, and then uh, eventually, in one case, given away for free. Um, I, I think that when... When we're at the point in the culture where we have pushed the conversation to its breaking point, I feel like, I mean, I feel like every time, you know, anybody says critical race theory, then, you know, you have to line up on one side or the other, and that's it. There's no more conversation about what's going on in the hearts and minds of people, because what's going on in the hearts and minds of 15, 16, and 17-year-olds who would think, first of all, that having a Snapchat group called Slave Trade would be okay, and then that they would be trading their friends. I mean, granted, they didn't actually exchange money for them, but you, you, I'm so troubled by what's happening at the heart level here. Exactly. I mean, if, if we look at the, the core issue here, it should be about how we treat other image bearers. It should be about, you know, the history of America and knowing why things like that are not acceptable and making that clear, if nothing else. 
But when our hearts aren't in the right place, we allow our own fears to kind of get in the way of those primary lessons. And I think that's that's what happens here. We let politics, we let ideological tribalism get in the way of actually kids learning how to be better people. Uh, and that is is unfortunate. And that's why this whole CRT conversation has just gotten completely out of hand. And uh, we need to re- reel it back in, especially Christians. All right, we're going to continue this conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign in just a moment. Um, I'm going to have him tell us again, what is critical race theory and how can Christians be having a conversation about it that doesn't end in, you know, two people walking out of opposite ends of a room? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Justin Gibney and I are continuing our conversation, open and honest dialogue about race and racism. I think that's the way I will choose to describe it. Um, Justin, I think we need, I think we need to figure out when we when you use the term systemic racism. Let's say I think there's just so many people who push back against the language. What if we just called it everyday racism, like the 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 experience? And then I have another listener who has texted in and said the word racism itself feels like it's lost all its meaning. Um, so I, I think that this is a part of the challenge that we face. There's so much saturation in the conversation today, um, and it's it's become so peaked that we don't even quite know how to talk about it, and yet we really need to be talking about this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you hate to get on something that's so serious. You hate to get caught up in the semantics, but the language does matter uh, and people use it differently. And I think, you know, there are probably people who use it wrongly and use it for the wrong purposes. Uh, when it when it comes to critical race theory, I think the first thing we have to understand is it's, it's, it's part of a bigger kind of umbrella of critical theory. And what critical theory does is it um, kind of critiques power, right? So when you're talking about critical race theory, which comes out of, you know, legal scholarship, it's critiquing power and it's really mapping out kind of abuses of power, whether that comes through language, whether that comes through many different other things, it maps out these abuses of power and tries to to explain them by mapping them out and by identifying it. Hopefully you can try to, to correct it. Now, the thing about critical race theory is there are critical race theorists and people who have taken that legal theory and done a lot of different things with it. And so the way that I look at critical race theory, I look at it just like any other theory that a Christian would approach, is that you got to look to see if there's merits and look to see if there's perils. And I think just like any other theory, I don't think there's any theory we should just accept on the whole without being critical. We need to look at and see, hey, is it really wrong for somebody to look at a society who has a history of racism, which I don't think anybody can deny, and map out that those abuses of power? I don't think anything's wrong with that. In fact, I think the Bible maps out abuses of power and calls out abuses of power. However, when it when it turns into racial essentialism, uh, when it turns into kind of the naturalization of of racism and kind of stereotyping people and things of that nature, I don't think everybody takes it there. But some people have taken it there. That's what we need to be careful of. But we don't need to. But but the problem that we see here is that. We've conflated everything dealing with racial justice, everything dealing with systemic racism as critical race theory, which as Mm -hmm. somebody who's been talking about racism for a long time, I didn't even 
really even know what critical race theory was until maybe the end of or the middle of last year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need that to evaluate. All I needed to do was read Frederick Douglass. All I needed to do was read about Fannie Lou Hamer and listen to my elders. And that's how I learned about the abuses of power when it comes to race. I didn't really even care about critical race theory. So so to now come along and kind of conflate every conversation about racial justice and systemic racism with critical race theory, I think is is unfortunate and, and, and many times intellectually dishonest. So one of the conversations that emerges out of this, you know, very local situation in Traverse City, Michigan, and I highlight this uh, if you're listening right now because The Washington Post is covering it now pretty um pretty thoroughly. One of the things that emerges, Justin, is that so we have this situation with these students on Snapchat. And then we have uh, people saying, okay, but you can't extrapolate that to our whole community. We are not a race. We are not racist people. We're not a racist community. Um, But in that, I feel like there's a denial that these children were raised somewhere by someone in some kind of context where they grew up to believe and these are kids who go to church. These are kids who go to school. These are kids who play in Little League. Like right? They were raised in a context and, and by a people where apparently they didn't learn that this was wrong. Um, and so you see my challenge? Like when people deny that, well, we're not actually a racist town um, or we're not actually a racist community. We're not a racist people. And yet in your town, in your community, in your school, in your Little League, in your churches— Kids are being raised to believe that it's okay to have a slave trade. Like, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's I don't know how much there is actually to unpack other than saying that we today are so interested in defending our narratives, so interested in proving the other side wrong and proving that we've done nothing wrong, that we can't teach basic lessons to children, right? The problem is... Not that some of these adults don't know that this is wrong. I'm, I'm sure many of them know that it's wrong. It's that they skipped over acknowledging that it's wrong, uh, lamenting what happened, to automatically defending themselves and pointing the finger at somebody else. And that's pride. That's the heart of that's that when when the Bible talks about pride, that's exactly what we're talking about here. How you're defending yourself, trying to hold on to this fictional narrative about your uh, about your town instead of doing doing the right thing and making sure that you correct what has obviously gone wrong and, and maybe a blind spot for your town. It doesn't mean that everything about your town is bad, but I think it says a lot about your town that you would move away from the actual correction to defending and pointing the finger at others. That's, that's just unfortunate. Completely 100% agree. Thank you so much um, for joining us today. Uh, if you need a co-signer on your campaign uh, to get hotel lotion to actually be lotion I am with you. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> That's Justin Gibney. You can find him at the And Campaign. Uh, you can also find him on social media where you could follow his Twitter and the ongoing conversation, much needed conversation about hotel lotion and why it's not really lotion. That's up next, or that's actually not up next. Justin will be back in a couple of weeks, though. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, Justin. Thanks for having me. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint. Identity tourism, demisexuality. All right, those might be uh, words you want to revisit. You can 
Listen again today to today's Breakpoint at breakpoint.org. I am pretty sure, yep, I'm there now. You can also get a transcript of what John Stone Street just shared. My guess is there was some stuff in there you're going to want to circle back around to. All right, uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has millions of followers on YouTube. Who is he? What is he saying about God? And why should we care? That conversation up next with Dr. Christopher Kayser. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Some time ago, I made a special visit to the American Colony Hotel in Jerusalem. I wanted to see the handwritten lyrics that hang on the wall, framed and visible for all to see. Horatio Spafford wrote them, never imagining that they would become the words to one of the world's best-loved hymns. On December 2nd, 1873, he received a telegram from his wife that began, Saved alone, what shall I do? The ship she was on had collided with another ship and had sunk. Their four daughters drowned and Anna survived. While sailing on the ship to bring her home, Spafford wrote the lyrics to a song that would become an anthem to the providence of God. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. This is Max Lucado. Welcoming Dr. Christopher Kayser, Professor of Philosophy of Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, to the program today. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's so great to have you. So um, let's just tee up this conversation by saying the name Jordan Peterson. For people who are listening right now who have no idea who Jordan Peterson is, introduce him and then we'll talk about your book. Sure. So I, I, Jordan Peterson at this point is a fairly well-known person, but you're right. There might be someone on Mars or Jupiter who has never heard of him and wants to uh, get to know who he is. So he's a clinical psychologist, professor of philosophy, or psychology rather, at the University of Toronto. And he is uh, a best-selling author of two different books, uh, 12 Rules for Life, and his latest book is called Beyond Order. And he rose to prominence in part because of his lectures. So he's given a number of lectures on Genesis, and his interpretation has been praised by many people that call themselves atheists, many people that weren't raised with any religion, and yet they found his insights into Scripture incredibly important and uh, life-transforming. And so I started to listen to some of his lectures, and I also found them extremely interesting. And so I ended up writing a series of articles about Jordan Peterson, especially his scriptural interpretation, but also other parts of his thought, which overlap with Christianity. And I just found it very, very fascinating the way he would look at uh, scripture in such a way that even someone who lacked faith, who thought the Bible was just an old book, nevertheless could gain real insight for living. And so I thought there's something real, really valuable there, in particular valuable for people whose faith maybe is weak, or maybe they have no faith at all, non-affiliated people. Jordan Peterson is a real bridge to those sorts of people. So I think he's someone that's uh, worth thinking about and talking about. So I think he's fascinating. I My first exposure to Jordan Peterson was in an interview um, that's, that's posted on YouTube where there is a journalist from the British version of GQ um, who is interviewing him. And let's just say 
she thought that she had all of the you know right timely answers to rebut his views on things, and um, she was unmatched. <clears throat> That's right. I've seen I've seen that interview also, and I totally agree with you. I think uh, one of the things I really like about Jordan Peterson is that he is able to engage with people that really see things very, very differently than he does. And to offer a real reasonable defense of his own position, his own views, and I think really a pretty persuasive defense. I think even you can sometimes see in the face of the interviewers, like they're like, wow, I've, I never really thought of that before. <laughs> so I think there's something really valuable about that. And so, yeah, I, I've been really fascinated by his thought and really the intersection between his thought and Christianity, because as you know, he sort of does this interesting dance where he, de- he, you know, he, he doesn't call himself a Christian, but he will say things like, I try to live as if God exists. And I think there's something positive about that, right? I mean, I think if everybody li- lived as if God existed, uh, the world would be a, a much better place. But then, you know, if he were here, my question for him would be, that's great, but what exactly does that entail? Because if you think that God exists and you think there's one God, then it seems to me the very next question would be, well, which way should I relate to God? In other words, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all believe in one God, but they have, as you know, very different understandings of, you know, what that involves and what this one God asks us to do. And and then presumably Jordan Peterson ha- would choose the Christian path, given those options, just given everything else he said. So then the question is, well, if you are living as if God exists and you think that Jesus really is God, well, what does that entail? And I would think, if that's true, that you would want to worship God in a church community, because at least as I read the New Testament, that's very clearly part of the call of people following God and who think that Jesus is God, the fullness of God's revelation. So anyway, you know, not that I want to put him in a corner and, and, uh, you know, pose all these questions to him in a hostile way. But on the other hand, I do think that he's on the right path. And so I guess what I hope to do is to ask questions and to dialogue with him, hopefully, and people like him in order to, you know, try to gain greater insight uh, so that I can gain greater insight and hopefully other people can too. So your brand new book, Jordan Peterson, God and Christianity, The Search for a Meaningful Life. Um, When we engage these conversations, because I think this is exactly what you're doing right now. You're saying these are the things um, that Jordan Peterson has said that are valuable. They're clearly engaging people in the culture. Jordan Peterson has something like 4 million subscribers to his YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. People, This is a person people are listening to mm. on a regular basis. They're actively engaging with him. He is doing so in a way that people are responding to. There is something for Christians to learn from that, for sure. Talk with us about the approach that you take in the book, Jordan Peterson, God and Christianity, because you're using... Another author with whom we might be familiar as a part of this conversation as well. Yeah. So in the book, what I'm trying to do is engage with uh, primarily his scriptural interpretation. So as I mentioned, he has these lectures on Genesis that I found really fascinating. And and what I found fascinating about them was I felt like he was reinventing the wheel. So he would have all these insights and like, wow, look at this. And this is something that, you know, I learned in my study of Genesis, and they really were legitimate insights. But because I've studied the history of Christian thinking, I recognize them right away as like, oh, these are insights from the church fathers. This is like Augustine. This is John Chrysostom. This is Origen. And all these huge figures in the Christian history, uh, he, he 
wasn't citing, and I don't think he was he was doing plagiarism. Like he, you know, knew about these people and was pretending he discovered it. I think he really did discover it. But from my perspective, it was a little bit like reinventing the wheel. Like you know, you're discovering all these things that these great figures in the past had discussed. So what in the book, what I try to do is bring him into dialogue with these great figures of the Christian past, people like Saint Augustine, and try to show how these figures really can even move his interpretation forward. In other words, it's not to deny really what he's saying, but to just augment it and to supplement it and to really bring it to perfection. And so a lot of the book is a little bit like that, saying this is terrific, we're moving in the right direction, but we can actually move down this road even further. And if we do that, we'll see it's a much richer and more complete picture uh, that he has already kind of brought us halfway down the road, and hopefully you know, we can move people even further down the road. Yeah, it's just fantastic. All right, I am talking today with Dr. Christopher Kayser. We're talking about his brand new book, Jordan Peterson, God and Christianity, The Search for a Meaningful Life, and we'll be right back. Continuing our conversation now with Dr. Christopher Kayser. You can find him at Loyola Marymount University in L.A. You can also uh, find his brand new book, Jordan Peterson, God and Christianity, The Search for a Meaningful Life. Um, let's uh, let's pick up where we left off, Chris. Um, so when you think about um, engaging Jordan Peterson's thoughts and the things that he, you know, as like genuinely, it's like this discovery that he's making, and yet they are things that are known to us if we have been students of um, sort of the C.S. Lewis, Lewis mere Christianity mm-hmm. understanding of the faith. Um, and yet it is new information for people not raised in the church or not raised in uh, a culture maybe that's sort of like Christian saturated. So you are in L.A., you are exposed to a broad range of people who whose experience does not include life in the church. Is that part of what sort of ignites your desire to approach this conversation? Is that You really do know people like the people who would respond to Jordan Peterson. Oh, for sure. Yeah. At, at my university, probably half the students uh, are people who would say that they're people of faith, but then the other half isn't. And so, yeah, every semester I have tons of students who don't know, you know, who wrote the Gospels, right? That This would be news to them that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the writers of the Gospels. I mean, people that basically have almost no understanding at all of Christianity. And in fact, unfortunately, sometimes they have a distorted understanding of Christianity. So I do think figures like C.S. Lewis are incredibly important for students like that, because Lewis had a tremendous gift for putting the truths of the faith in a very accessible and reasonable sort of way. And yeah, part of the book that I'm trying to do, too, is to put... Uh, Jordan Peterson in dialogue, not only with ancient Christian thinkers like Augustine, but also in dialogue with more contemporary Christian thinkers like uh, C.S. Lewis. And so, yeah, what I really hope to do is to, again, move the conversations he is starting and he's having with so many non-believers, so many people that have no background at all in Christianity. And if you look online, you know, at his YouTube station, you'll see comments. I mean, many comments. People say, I'm an atheist. I thought the Bible was just a bunch of old stories that were completely meaningless. And now having listened to, you know, your lectures, Dr. Peterson, now I understand that there is incredible wisdom in this ancient text. And and I think that's an enormous contribution. And, and so people like Peterson and Lewis, I think, can help uh, many people in our own age 
to gain, you know, greater insight and really uh, gain, frankly, greater wisdom into the most important questions that there are. So um, there are a number of folks who criticize Jordan Peterson for any number of a range of uh, of concerns and issues. How do you respond? Um, I mean, you know, we're not here to defend him or promote him. We're here to engage in uh, a conversation about the things that he's engaging people in conversation about. But when I see him attacked, it is often from um, folks who have a uh, a view of the world that might embrace um, socialism, might embrace communism, might embrace um, sort of radical feminism, like if, you, if I were to go down that line. And so there are things about him that seem oddly, I'll use the term conservative, but I don't necessarily mean that in the way that everybody might use the term. Um, he is kind of a uh, defender of things that we might consider classical, and those things are certainly under assault in the culture today. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. I mean, I, I, one way to think about him it would be in term, terms that he uses to describe himself. And what he has said about himself often is that he's what he calls a classical liberal. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how he would define it, but you might think of someone like President Kennedy. So President Kennedy was, of course, a Democrat, but President Kennedy was definitely opposed to communism. I mean, very, very strenuously. So I think that Jordan Peterson, in a way, is similar to that kind of view, where he he does have, you might say, a kind of liberal streak in a sense. Um, he's definitely open to experience. He's definitely someone who believes in uh, defending free speech. And those are classic liberal kind of, you know, views, you might say. But then part of him is, uh, you know, quote unquote, more conservative. Now, I don't think it's particularly conservative to oppose communism. I mean, I think anyone who's lived in a communist regime <laughs> comes to understand pretty quickly that there's some serious problems with it. Uh, so I don't think you have to be, yeah, a quote-unquote conservative to see the problems with communism. But you're right, Jordan Peterson definitely is someone who's not afraid to stand up to people that are socialists or communists or radical feminists and say, I disagree. And in our culture, that takes some courage because sometimes when you say, I disagree or I see things differently, there are some people that basically don't want that at all. They, they want you to toe the party line and parrot back what they say. And Jordan Peterson said, I'm willing to do that. So one of the things I appreciate about um, him and his approach is that I think he is a classic liberal in the sense that he's open to listen to a range of ideas and then see what comes to the surface as the best idea. Um, you know, so classically, um, in, inviting a conversation with people who maybe have been exposed to things he hasn't been exposed to. I mean, he does seem to be a person who's genuinely pursuing the truth for sake of discovering the truth. And where he discovers that in Scripture, he seems willing to acknowledge it. Now, I think that's really refreshing. Um, and so I think that engaging him as a sort of third party in a conversation, the way you've done in your book, is just absolutely fascinating. You're bringing him into conversation with uh, classical Christian thought and even more contemporary um, uh, Christian thinkers like C.S. Lewis. It's just it's a brilliant way to approach a conversation with somebody who is having conversations with millions of people in the culture today. Again, the book um, the book is Jordan Peterson, God, Christianity, uh, and the Meaningful Life, uh, Christopher Kayser is a professor of philosophy at Loyola Marymount University and author um, of this book. 
Talk for just a moment. Um, this is a different subject. You're a professor of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Define philosophy in terms of the conversations we're currently having in the American culture today. So philosophy comes from a Greek term meaning love of wisdom. And so, you know, I think in our culture, what we need in a sense more than anything is a kind of wisdom, right? It's important, it seems, given all the big questions we're facing, to think deeply and and I would say very carefully in order to, you know, come to greater insight. So what philosophy is all about is uh, trying to gain greater wisdom. And in order to do that, what philosophers typically do is they look at all kinds of thinkers, both past and present. So there's no reason to think that we today have an absolute uh, hold on everything that's true. And so I look to, you know, thinkers of the past, people like Plato and Aristotle, people like Augustine and Aquinas, people like C.S. Lewis, to try to gain insights for today. Now, yes, they're not living right now, but just because someone is no longer alive doesn't mean that you can't learn from them, right? I mean, think of all the books that we can really gain important insights from. So philosophy is really this pursuit of wisdom, and that's what I'm trying to do in this book with Jordan Peterson, to try to move the conversation forward and gain some greater insight. It's just such a refreshing approach, and I think it brings philosophy to a place where regular people like me um, feel comfortable engaging it. So thank you so much. Dr. Christopher Kayser, thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. The book is Jordan Peterson, God and Christianity, The Search for a Meaningful Life. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Well, friends, um, it's quite a day. So one of the things that is happening in the world today is the Olympics. You probably already know that, right? Um, And so one of the things that's happening at the Olympics is today was supposed to be the day that we all got to watch Simone Biles in the uh, women's gymnastics team competition. However, um, she withdrew from the team competition Uh, earlier today. So Simone Biles is out of the team final. Um, Here's what we know at this point. She she did the vault, stumbled on the landing um, after she'd already, uh, she'd planned to do this two and a half twist version of the vault. And then she, according to the New York Times, watered it down to a one and a half twist. And then she stumbled on the landing and following that, she withdrew from the team competition. Uh, and the the reason given is, quote, unquote, medical reasons. And so here's so that's what we know about that. Um, so we want to be, you know, praying for her physical health, but also just, you know, for the competition in general. Right. Because it goes on. There's a team competition ongoing and lots of members of the U.S. team obviously continuing to compete in the gymnastics final. There is a gymnastics uh, storyline unfolding at the Olympics that I find particularly interesting. And that is uh, among the German women's team. And I just really appreciate this. And so I wanted to highlight it today. Uh, So the German Olympics women's team, they are wearing uh, leotards that include what I would describe as pants. I mean, for lack of a better way, yoga pants, kind of like, right? So it's a it's a leotard that's a unitard. It is not uh, hiked up over their hip bones. It is not 
hiked up showing their hiney or any other, you know, frankly, part of the physical female anatomy. I appreciate it. I want to say hats off to the women of the German women's Olympic team who, you know, they want to participate in their sport, but they don't want to be sexualized while they're doing it. And so uh, I just wanted to say, you know, let's take note of that. Let's use it as an opportunity to talk about modesty. Let's acknowledge the importance of uh, being good stewards of the bodies that we've been given. But, you know, also just recognize, I mean, I think I've said this before, uh, you know, on here. God, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. He never tells us to dress like bait. And so as we are out there in the world today, let us shine like lights, seeking to direct others to God, not to ourselves. Let's make his name famous. You know, we're not really drawing attention to us. We're drawing attention to him. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.